0: Lord, we we thank you for your word that you've given to us, that tells us truthfully about who you are and about who we are. It tells us about this world that you made and what your plans and purposes are for it. And so we we ask that you would reveal uh, your truth to us today. Uh, through your word and by your spirit. Amen. So I have I've said this a few times before, that, that the Bible begins and ends with good news. The, the first two pages of the Bible, Genesis 1 and 2, are good news. That, that God creates the world and he calls it and then he creates people, human beings, and he calls us. Well, he doesn't say good. He says what? Very good. And there in Genesis 1 and 2, in those first two pages of the Bible, God is there with people in his creation. But in page 3 of the Bible, chapter 3, there's a problem. Human beings corrupt God's good world. They contaminate it with sin, sin. And there is this division between God and people. The, the relationship with God and people are ripped apart. And the Bible from, from chapter 3 of Genesis until Revelation 20 can be read of the, the working out of this division. How it is that we as human beings are always resisting God, always tearing apart our relationship with Him, but how He is always more moving toward us. Moving toward us, moving toward us to heal the division between us. How God is at work mending what we have torn apart. And so when we get to the last two pages of the Bible, Revelation 21 and 22, in those chapters we read about this beautiful vision of what God's healed and mended world looks like. It's a picture of God's renewed creation where God and people live together again. And what I want you to notice as we begin today is that the good news at the beginning that's told to us at the beginning and the good news at the end both include God and people living together in God's creation in a world that God made. Our hope is that God would heal and renew his creation so that it would be a fitting place for us to live together with him. In a sermon series a couple years ago, uh, I said that it's, that God is at work making his place and our place the same place. Over the last few weeks, we've been looking at, at this question. What is Jesus doing now? The same Jesus that walked the earth 2,000 years ago. The same Jesus that healed blind people, that made lame people walk. The same Jesus who told parables. The same Jesus who hung on a cross. The same Jesus who rose from the dead with with scarred hands and feet. That same Jesus is alive now. And he is at work in your life, and he is at work in the world. He ascended to heaven with a body, and he is at the right hand of God the Father, interceding and ruling. He is actively sending His Spirit into your life and into the life of the church, doing His renewing work by His Spirit in the world. And He is coming again. He is going to return publicly and visibly. And the writers of the Bible looked forward to the second coming of Christ. They were waiting for it, and it was good news for them. Because when Jesus returns, He will finally confront and Oh, and overcome and undo that contamination that we put in his creation. He will undo sin and evil and death. His return is the promise that he will not give up on the good creation that he made in the beginning. We contaminated his world with sin. He is coming to purify it. The promise of Jesus' return is the promise that sin and evil and death will not have the last word. All of the results of the curse, all of the things that we do to contaminate God's world, all of it will be healed, will be purified, will be made right. So we've been asking this question, what is Jesus doing now? What I want to do today is to communicate the next question. What is God going to do Next, What is Jesus going to do next? Now, as I mentioned last week, many of you are probably aware that there are a lot of discussions among Christians about the details of what Jesus is going to do next. About the particular order of events and how those things are going to work themselves out. And there are good reasons to talk about those things. And the beliefs about those things have implications for our lives and for the church. And uh, next year, Lord willing, I'm hoping to actually preach through the book of Revelation. And so we may get into some of those points and some of the implications of those different views. But for today, I want to highlight and to cheer for the three things about the second coming of Jesus that all Christian views hold together. There is agreement on at least things. Whatever your view is on the millennium or on the rapture or whether things must get worse and worse and worse until Jesus comes or whether they may be getting better or how the relationship between Jews and Gentiles is working itself out, whatever your belief is on those three things, there is consistent agreement on at least three things. When Jesus returns, there will be resurrection. There will be judgment. And there will be new heavens and new earth. There's consistent agreement about those three things. There's different beliefs about the order of them and about the length of time between these three events. But these are three things that Jesus will bring when he returns. And all Christians agree that these events are going to come in the future. And because they are going to come, we need to be ready... And we need and we have a hope right now in a world that feels like it's going mad that we have a hope that these things are coming. These three events are what Jesus is going to do to make this world fit again for us and God to dwell together again. So let's go, we're going to look at each of these in turn. Resurrection, and then judgment, and new heavens, and new earth. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And in this chapter is the most extensive discussion in all of the Bible about the resurrection. I want to uh, read a few uh, words from 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and speak a little bit about this hope that is coming. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and I'm going to read... Verses 19 through 23. Paul writes this If only for this life we have hope in Christ, then we are to be pitied more than all men. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive, but each in his own turn. Christ the firstfruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. keep reading then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom to god the father after he has destroyed all dominion authority and power for he must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet and the last enemy to be destroyed is death in this passage paul says that what happened to jesus in his resurrection is going to happen to us His resurrected body is the prototype of our resurrected bodies. Paul says that his resurrection is the first fruits of a resurrection to come. When a farmer begins to see his harvest growing, and that first of his crop begins to appear, those first fruits of a promise of more to come. Jesus was raised with a new resurrected body, and Paul says that Jesus' resurrection is the first fruit of more resurrection to come. And we are the harvest of that resurrection. Those who are in Christ, who have in our baptism died and our spirits have been made alive in Christ. In the same way as we are in Christ, when our bodies die, one day our bodies too will be made alive with Christ. Jesus' resurrection is the promise and hope that after death, we too will be raised to new life. A long time ago, when I was pastoring in Vancouver, I was I was doing a graveside service for for a person from our church, and an older gentleman came and he stood next to me. He wasn't from our church; I had never seen him before. Um, but he looked down into the grave, and he just he was a little bit sheepish. He had a question for me, though. He said, "I uh, said, Pastor, I have a question for you. I know that when they put the coffin in the ground, and they put like a concrete um, slab over top of the of the of the coffin." And he said, am I going to be able to get out when I'm resurrected? And I I kind of laughed a little bit too, and then I realized he had a really serious question. And, And as I thought about it, I thought, he has a very tangible expectation that his body is going to be raised to life. Now, I don't know what it was about that concrete barrier that made it difficult for him to think that that was true, but somehow Jesus couldn't take care of that concrete barrier. But there was something about his tangible hope that his body was going to be brought back to life that has been an encouragement to me since then. And I told him that day, I said, I don't think that Jesus is going to have any problems with that, that concrete barrier over that. If he has the power to raise your life to dead, he's going to be able to take care of that, uh, that concrete slab. It seemed to comfort him at least a little bit for the moment we are going to be raised to new life later in first corinthians chapter 15 verse 51 he says this listen i tell you a mystery we will not all sleep but we will all be changed in a flash in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. And when the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? When Jesus was on the cross, all of the sin and evil of the world and the results, death that comes from it, were placed on him. And Jesus took the sin and the evil into the grave and and the death that comes with it into the tomb, and it was buried there with him in the tomb. And when he was raised from the dead, he was raised then with a perfect imperishable, eternal body. His body was raised and the sin and evil and death stayed in the tomb behind him. That is the Christian hope of resurrection. Jesus' resurrection is called the first fruit of our resurrection. What happened to Jesus will happen to us. We will be raised with an imperishable, glorified body that can't be touched with sin or sickness or with death. The second thing that will come is judgment. Turn with me to Revelation chapter 20. I'm going to read verses 11 through 15. Revelation chapter 20. I'm going to read verses 11 through 15. These are the, are the last words before the last two pages of the Bible. The, the last two pages that are good news. This is the, the story of God's God's judgment. Revelation 20, starting at verse 11. John writes Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. Earth and sky fled from his presence, and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them, and each person was judged according to what he had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. This is an account of God's final confrontation and his final purifying of sin and evil from his creation. This is the moment when God is going to purify the world of everything that we have done to contaminate it. He is going to purify the world of all of its impurities, all of its sin, all of its injustices. Both those those things in our world that we that we look at and we say, "How could I possibly even imagine seeking to try to overcome those things?" You know, government corruption, systemic racism that we hear about. That all these big things that we cannot imagine how it is that we can even do anything about it. God is going to deal and confront with all confront all of those things. And he's also going to confront the, the evil that has hidden away in my heart. All of it is going to be dealt with. The Bible is clear that there will be a day when we will stand before God, and our lives will be judged by our Maker. I've been wrestling up until just the last couple hours of exactly how to, to talk about judgment and what, what is coming. I don't want to try to get too specific here because we don't know fully what that day is going to be like. But the Bible talks about two things when it talks about God judging the world. And when God is judging specifically those of us who are believers, what that's going to be like for us as followers of Jesus. On one hand, the Bible tells us this truth that when I receive Jesus, that God tossed my sins as far as the east is from the west. And so the sins that I've committed in this life will not be held against me because of the sacrifice of Jesus, because I've been baptized into his life. And on the other hand, we're told in this passage that we're going to be judged for the deeds that we do in this life. We're told that all things on that day are going to be exposed and brought into the light. That what was whispered in secret is going to be made known, that every idle word will be judged. We are told that all of our deeds will be judged, whether good or evil. And I think it's important for us to hold up both of those truths about what the Bible says about Judgment Day and to not forget either one of them. On that day, we are going to see the wrath of God against sin and evil. And for those of us who know Jesus, we are going to finally see and finally really know how much it actually cost Jesus to bear the weight of my sin. I'm going to actually see the cost. My sin will be exposed, brought into the light. I will see my sin for how ugly and horrible it is. And because of that, I will see how great my forgiveness and the mercy of God is. I'm going to see what it costs for my name to be written in the book of life. Judgment Day is the confrontation of evil, the undoing of sin in every way. And on that day, we're going to see how God dealt with evil, how God dealt with my sin through the cross. How he carried the weight, the burden, and suffered that punishment for my sin. For those who have ignored or who have rejected Jesus and his forgiveness, the weight of that sin, the weight of the wrath of God will remain rather than be carried by Jesus. The Bible says that in that day there's going to be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For those who reject Jesus, there is not only seeing the wrath of God and seeing our sin, but also experiencing God's righteous wrath again judgment day is god dealing with sin and evil purifying his creation of the contamination of it both evil deeds and evil people and making the world a pure and holy place where he can be with us the third thing that jesus is going to do when he returns is he is recreating a new heavens and a new earth when to read revelation 21 verses 1 through 4 in Revelation 22, verses 1 through 5, I tried to think about how I could talk about the new heavens and the new earth. And today, I'm just going to read these two passages that allow the imagination, that, that, that the, the images that God gave to John to sit with us as it describes the new heavens and the new earth. Revelation 21, verses 1 through 4. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. Chapter 22. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit yielding its fruit every month and the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations no longer will there be any curse the throne of god and of the lamb will be in the city and his servants will serve him they will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads there will be no more night they will not they will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun For the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. It's a renewed creation that we are hoping for, a creation where the Lord will be so near to us that we'll be able to touch him, that he will touch us as he wipes away the tears from our eyes. Such a tender image. In the middle of this book that has dragons and beasts and riders on white horses and slain lambs. In the middle of that book, is, at the end of this book, is this image of God being so near to us that he dries our eyes from our tears. Lord, we, we long for this day. Jesus is coming back. He's returning. And when he comes, he is going to bring resurrection judgment and a new heavens and a new earth and all christians believe this calvinists and arminians christians in america and christians in china premillennial amillennial postmillennial just confused about the whole thing we believe this resurrection judgment new heavens and new earth and because we believe these things are are real and that they are coming The biblical writers talk about the second coming of Jesus, and they speak about it with words that are sobering and serious, and also hopeful and full of joy. So this morning, as you have heard these words of what Jesus is going to do next, resurrection, judgment, new heavens and new earth, what's going on in in your heart today? Today, if you, are, if you are not a follower of Jesus, if you have not received him today, I want to remind you today that the message of Scripture is that we all are going to stand before our Maker and give an account for our life. And the invitation for you today is to say that you know that you cannot possibly stand on your own good works. And you can know today and list the many things that you have done that have harmed other people, You have lied, you have cheated, you have stolen. And that you know that you are guilty of those things. And the invitation for you today is to to turn around, to repent, and to receive the sacrifice that Christ made for you by faith. And by receiving that, when you stand on the day of judgment, as as those books, talks about these books that are coming out, I'm imagining these as like the book of my life, as that's read before me. That, any of that anything that's in that book that requires forgiveness, it is covered over by the blood of Jesus. And that can be your story today. That whatever it is that I've written in the book of my life that I'm ashamed of, anything that I've done to harm other people, to hurt other people, anything that I've done to disobey God, that all of that can be covered over by the blood of Jesus. And your name can be written then in the book of life the warning of these passages are also for believers too the bible warns believers those who are in church that they should be ready the bible says that there are some who are who are in the church who look like they are right with god on the outside They've actually fooled other people, maybe even fooled themselves into thinking that they are right with God, but inwardly they resist God. They have not truly repented and turned to Him, or they've forgotten the truth that they once held on to. In the warning, whenever the biblical writers speak about the second coming of Christ, whether that's Jesus Himself or Paul or Peter, there is this warning to the church to make sure that we are ready. Biblical writers also talk about encouragement and hope this is a persistent message throughout the bible about the second coming of christ god is not going to allow evil to have the final word the consequences of the curse of sin are going to be dealt with these bodies that we have right now that that ache and that decay and that waste away and that fail us they are going to be resurrected and glorified We will run and not grow weary. We will not walk and not be faint. There's going to be no more sickness. No more cancer. No more corona. No more government corruption. No more tears. No more not being able to pay the bills at the end of the month. There's always going to be enough. No more war. Our weapons will be transformed into gardening tools. No more feeling like you're not enough. You will know deep down in the deepest place of who you are that you are a child of God. No more death. No more mourning. No more crying. No more pain. Resurrection, judgment, new heavens and new earth. The curse of sin and death will have no place in the new heavens and the new earth. He is returning to bring these good and necessary things. Are you ready? Are you hoping for it today? Let's pray. Lord, I pray this morning that anyone who is here gathered in this building right now, anyone who is sitting at home right now and listening, Lord, that you would transform any, any fear about this day into confident hope in Jesus that every single one of us would reflect on the second coming of Jesus and long for this time when you are going to do away with all of the effects of our sin. Lord, I pray that this would be real for us, that it would be something that we hope for and that we long for. Come, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Amen.